0: Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keenom, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is Friday, January the 20th, 2023. It was the great Leo Tolstoy who remarked uh, that, History would be a wonderful thing if it were only true. Um, It's a wonderful thing to say, a very provocative one. And what does that mean if, if, if history isn't really true, if it's more complicated? What does that mean for the biographer? What does that mean if you're writing about somebody's life? Take the life, for example, of one of the great Americans of the 20th century, George Kennan. One of the six wise men included in Walter Isaacson and Evan Thomas's great book on the six wise men who shaped American foreign policy and domestic policy in the middle of the of the 20th century. What does that mean for his life? Uh, 10 years ago, there was a book about Kennan written. Uh, it was the authorized biography written by John Lewis Gaddis very uh, acclaimed book, very popular book. It came with the subtitle, George F. Kennan, An American Life. But perhaps Gaddis isn't quite as, uh, not Gaddis, Kennan is not quite as simple as Gaddis presented him. What happens if Tolstoy is right and history is more complicated than simply being true? I think that's the suggestion of my guest today, who has a new biography of Kennan out, and it's not called... um, uh, an American life. It's canon. a life between worlds. So it's anything but an American life. I'm thrilled that Frank Costigliola, um, who is a professor of history at the University of Connecticut, uh, is joining us today. Uh, Frank, congratulations on the new book. I actually stole that um, quote from Tolstoy from your email, every email I get from uh, Frank comes with uh, Tolstoy, Tolstoy's remarks. History would be a wonderful thing if it were only true. And it's particularly ironic that you include this as a historian. It, it, uh, was Tolstoy right, Frank?
1: Oh, I think I think, you know, it, it, ha- it has to do with the, what you understand by by true. Uh, and also, I want to say that George Kennedy, first of all, thank you for having me on the show. This is this is a real honor. Uh, But uh, George Kennan was a big fan of Tolstoy. In fact, visited Tolstoy's uh, house and and, uh, estate and was deeply moved by that. Um, You know, history is open to interpretation. Uh, Don Gaddis has a biography of George Kennan. I have a biography. Other people will have their own biographies. Um, It depends, you know, if you ask different questions of the past, you ask different questions, you get different answers. And that's one reason why historians revise what what they write about history because the present day um, is different from the past. And so we ask different questions about the past. For instance, now what George Kennan's view of Ukraine was as relevance that it didn't have, uh, even when I wrote most of this book, which is before February, 2022. So, you know, as events change, perspectives change, uh, in a sense, the events of the past, what actually occurred is, that we can't change, and that's kind of also, in a way, ultimately unreachable. But rather, what changes is our view of history—the written view, uh, the written history that uh, that is produced and discussed and,
0: and debated. We'll come to the Ukraine later, inevitably. All conversations these days, unfortunately, seems to begin and end with the Ukraine. Uh, Frank, you uh, wrote a book on Franklin Roosevelt uh, called. Uh, Roosevelt's Lost Alliances, how personal politics helped start the Cold War, in which you interpreted some of Roosevelt's foreign policy, some perhaps of his more fa- failed attempts in foreign policy in, in a personal light. Um, Kenan is your first major biography, though. Um, why are you drawn to biography as a historian? Is it because you're fascinated with individual lives, complicated lives, like of somebody like George Kennan?
1: Yeah, I think the challenge is, is, in a way, to really get inside someone's head, to really understand them to the extent that, in a way, you're not surprised in reading some letter they wrote or some uh, about some event that they participated in, that, yeah, sure, this is part of the pattern. And um, I like to think that I did get inside the mind of Franklin Roosevelt and, and of George Kennan, very different people uh, in in many, many ways. Uh, As as someone once said about Franklin Roosevelt, his mind was thickly forested, had a thickly forested interior. It was harder to read. uh, Franklin Roosevelt. Kennan was very explicit about his uh, feelings, about his his, uh, desires, his frustrations. Not that we take those at face value, but there certainly Kennan thought about himself. Was was articulate about his his external life and his inner life much more much, much more than most figures. I mean, you have to remember that George Kennan kept a diary from the age of 11 to the age of 100. So there's... Uh,
0: Quite astonishing, yeah. I mean, yeah. he lived so long. And to sort of add a suitable additional layer to all this, um, you add some Freudian analysis because well, um, because Kennan that. himself was intrigued by, by Freud. Are you a natural Freudian, Frank, or were no, you just drawn all. to Freud because all. of Kennan's interest?
1: No, I am interested in Kennan's interest in Freud. I mean, I am not at all a Freudian at all. I stress, not at all. Uh, but Kennan was. Kennan... Um, kind of dabbled it in, uh, in kind of reading psychology in when he was still at college at, at Princeton and then he read heavily it he read Freud uh, intensively when he was in a sanitarium at, for a, a physical and mental breakdown in 1934 in Vienna he was in Vienna he read Freud of course Freud was living he never met Freud and he was attended by a Freudian, inspired doctor who didn't sounds like a viennese video.
0: novel uh, uh uh frank um so let's get to the heart of this if there is a heart and i'm not sure if george kennan really had a heart tell us about this man not everyone not all our audience particularly younger members will be familiar with one of these wise men what's the big deal about george kennan
1: okay uh that's hard to sum up but i think let me be very briefly- Well, I've warned
0: you, Frank, that you need to sum him up in three or four minutes.
1: Okay, you got it. Set the clock uh, timing. Okay, first of well, all- you can an, have
0: five if you if you do a good yeah. job.
1: Okay. There are five points I'm going to make. First, he was enormously talented, and I could, I'll go back to that. Secondly, the only thing greater than his talent was his ambition. Uh, I'll explain that to you. Third, he was an outsider in many ways. It's between worlds- uh, both, you know, in terms of geography, as well as time, he felt that he way well, he was more more at home in the 18th century than in the 20th century. Uh, he was a Freudian, as we've already discussed. And finally, he was a tragic figure. He was a person who was frustrated in many aspects of his life, a person who, uh, you know, I, I, I guess, I think, suffered from a certain amount of hubris. And he he, he was talented, he reached far, but he did not succeed in the things Is that that are true, do you think,
0: um, Frank, of all great men, that the greater they are, the more inadequate they feel?
1: Oh, I don't know. I don't know if they all feel inadequate. I think that some people feel that others are inadequate and not and not them. Um, I'm not sure. That's, that's a big generalization, but uh, that's a big generalization. I don't feel qualified to really answer that, that all great men feel inadequate. Probably all great men feel they could do even more than they have achieved, but so
0: his significance is as one of the architects, if not the architect of the American Cold War. Is that fair? Is that in a sentence his historical significance in the 20th century?
1: Well, I think that's that's I think that's the, the bumper sticker answer, you know, that George Kennan authored the doctrine of containment. The doctrine of containment was what the US pursued during the Cold War. Kennan predicted. The fall of the Soviet Union, the Soviet Union fell, end, end of story. Uh, the, real, the real story is more complicated. Uh, and part of the reason that Kennedy was frustrated is that he uh, enunciated a policy for containing the Soviet Union, but regarded that as we should, he believed the United States should contain the Soviet Union. But once that containment was achieved, which regarded as, as happening, having been achieved by the late 1940s, then the United States should move beyond containing Russia to negotiating and compromising with Russia and easing tensions. And that second part of the formula, uh, first contain the Russians, then negotiate with them, that second part never really came to pass for many decades. And that's the source of a lot of Kennan's frustration.
0: Is that a, an additional world that is caught between the worlds of foreign policy idealism and realism of American fighting for democracy and a more realist, Kissinger-style understanding of the nature of power. He seems, or you seem to suggest, that he has a foot in either camp.
1: Yeah, also, but um, it's, again, more complicated. Kennan was was a realist in the sense that he thought that American foreign policy should be based on national interest, not on idealism. Kennan himself had doubts about the efficacy of democracy in in some respects. Uh, He was an elitist. Um, and so, but he thought that foreign policy should be measured, limited, rational, and, uh, and he was not in favor of crusades. But he, here's the irony, some of the tragedy, that in uh, writing the long telegram in 1946, and in uh, writing and publishing the so-called Mr. X article in 1947, Cannon in effect, in effect helped launch, help launch a Cold War crusade, which he then criticized.
0: So tell us about both. You, you mentioned the if, the if there are two documents he's most famous for. <laughs> excuse me, it's the long telegram written in 1946, and then the X article written in July of 47. Tell us about these.
1: Okay, well, the, the X article is, is excuse me, the Mister the, the X te, uh, the long telegram, February 1946, was when Kennan was in the Moscow embassy. He was frustrated for a variety of reasons, which we could discuss, frustrated for a variety of reasons with both the Soviet government and the American government. He was thinking about leaving the Foreign Service. He was, in general, resentful and angry. And people in the State Department sent him a telegram, his friends basically sent him a telegram saying, how should we understand post-World War II Soviet foreign policy? How should we understand what Stalin is trying to do? And Kennan then, as he later put it, let them have it, with a close to six thousand word telegram, supposedly the longest telegram ever sent over the State Department uh, channels, in which he laid out the vision of the Soviet Union as an existential threat. Uh, and, and 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 he exaggerated, and he later acknowledged this. He exaggerated the extent of the threat, the seriousness of the threat, and the uh, difficulty in or the difficulty in meeting that threat. Uh, He exaggerated in part because he wanted to gain attention. He felt stuck in Moscow. He felt his talents were not being recognized, and he basically rang the alarm bell very loudly uh, as a way of getting attention. In
0: in other words, and I'm half-joking here, Frank, um, here here was a a mid-level foreign service career guy who was frustrated with the bureaucracy and he started the Cold War by fetishizing the Imperial doctrine of, of, of the Soviet Union is that what happened?
1: Well, I think. Look, if George Kennan, I'm half had,
0: being serious. I mean, I, I know had, that.
1: You know, you know, if George Kennan had never existed, the Cold War would still have occurred. What Kennan did with the long telegram and Mister X was to push a door that was already partially open. He 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 gave he gave the intellectual the intellectual rationale. He he gave an emotional uh, emotionally resonant expression for policies in the united states under the truman administration after roosevelt had died the previous year he gave uh, he pushed an open door in, in the direction the truman administration was already moving and, and so, so he, was
0: he the if there was a single intellectual inspiration for the t- the truman doctrine truman's american foreign policy doctrine was it Kennan?
1: i think for the truman doctrine it was not Kennan because Kennan thought the truman doctrine uh was way too expansive in terms of applying to the entire world if there's an intellectual father or author of the Truman doctrine it would be first Truman but secondly Dean Acheson, Dean Acheson, who was assist- another
0: of the wise men in um, right, right. in, uh, in, uh, in um, Isaacson's book right so. Remind us then of X. The X had a, a, a huge impact, didn't it? The the right. X. Because, so the
1: long telegram. The long telegram was sent to the State Department, and on March 5th, 1946, coincidentally the same day that Churchill gave his Iron Curtain speech, the State Department sent the long telegram to every diplomatic uh, post of the United States around the world. So that was distributed within the State Department, and then also maybe and so forth within the Truman administration. The Mr. X article with, with similar, similar kind of language, similar kind of ideas, but not totally, was published in Foreign Affairs, the most, you know, the, the establishment journal with regard to uh, uh, foreign affairs in the United States. And of course that's read by the educated public as well as by government officials. So Foreign Affairs gave Kennan the... Uh, uh, fame throughout the country where the long telegram was within the State Department. And it was pu- because he was in the State Department, it was published anonymously under X. But then Arthur Kroc, a prominent uh, journalist, broke the story that X was really George Kennan, this mid-level and, but rising, quickly, official in the State Department.
0: To what extent were, were, was Kennan and also Churchill, you mentioned his Iron Curtain speech, I think that was in, was that in Missouri?
1: Yeah, that was in Fulton, Missouri, where uh, where, where at the uh, a co- small college there, where Truman had invited. The right. Church. So, but to to what extent
0: were both Churchill and Kennan simply responding to what was happening on the ground in Eastern Europe, in Poland, in Hungary, and and what so, was? then a back extent,
1: to ben a large extent. I mean, they took they they responded to events happening on the ground, and then they vaulted those those. Uh, reaction to those events, vaulted them into public consciousness in the West uh, and sharpened, sharpened the uh, perception of the crisis and sharpened the, the the degree of the crisis, I think, because both Churchill and uh, Truman wanted to make a point. Instead, Churchill and Kennedy wanted to make a point.
0: I mean, today, looking back, the Cold War looks inevitable and the Soviet Union, particularly under Stalin, seems particularly evil. What was the pre long telegram view of Stalin and the Soviet Union, say between 1945 and 1946, that they were a, a friendly power, that they weren't well, interested in colonizing Eastern Europe?
1: That's, a, you know, the opinion is changing at a very rapid pace, a very rapid pace. Because as, as you know, uh, it was only be, uh, D-Day and the American invasion of German-held France happened in June 1944 by that point the Russians had already rolled back the Germans from Russian territory were already in Poland um, so the real you know most of the German casualties in World War II were on the Russian front so Americans appreciated that uh, at the end of at the end of World War II. but the the Russian brutality in Eastern Europe, the rapes of uh, German women by Red Army soldiers all those uh, atrocities were, you know really came came more and more to public attention in the months between the end of the war in May 45 and the uh, long telegram and Churchill's uh, speeches which in early early the following year in 1946 so at the time rapidly changing american american opinion and accelerating let me, that let me, let me we revise that question. Was was Russia seen in
0: say between 40, 44, late forty four, and early forty six? Was it seen by most foreign policy people the thing that Kennan and Churchill, I guess, were the people that Kennan and Churchill were arguing against, as just another power that the war was finished, Hitler was defeated, and Russia would just become another power like the United States or France? Oh, or the no, United I, Kingdom. People
1: were very aware. People were very aware of the of the purges. Uh, that Stalin had, had the bloody purges from the late 1930s. Um, uh, and and the fact that Russia was never just an, another ordinary power, of course, the largest country in the world with a, a large army. Uh, they didn't have the uh, atomic bomb, but still. So it was a question about what Russia's future was going to be and what the f- future relations with the United States was going to be. I, there was a lot of confusion. There was a lot of confusion and uncertainty uh, in American public opinion, and to some extent in the government. Kennan kind of channeled the anxieties and the fears and, and sharpened them as as did as Churchill. So
0: and of course at this you know, point the Russians didn't have a nuclear weapon, is that correct? No, not until 1949,
1: but they had a large army and uh, they had the Communist Party which had been successful in basically so communizing. Right, weapons.
0: so in terms of Kennan's analysis in the long telegram, and in the X article, was his argument that there was some motor, inevitable motor within Russian Bolshevism that sought to colonize the world in the name of Lenin and Stalin and Marx? Or was it more of a traditional geostrategic argument that Russia was an aggressive power, always had been and always will be? It
1: was both. It was both ideological. Can it discuss both ideology and traditional Russian uh, expansion, Russian insecurity. And he, and he emphasized also Russian insecurity, that a lot of Russian behavior was defensive-aggressive.
0: How does this all make sense in terms of Kennan's um, personal life? Um, you, you, you make a lot of it in the book. You, you note his interest in Freud and particularly in his uh, fascination with the two drives, Eros and, uh, uh, and the death drive, uh, that Freud argues, uh, as you suggest, um, uh, George Kennan was not a happy man. If one was to do a, a, a Freudian analysis, uh, not just of Kennan, perhaps of American behavior, might one see in this violent American response to Russia, a Freudian element. In other words, the personal (laughs) and the political, or the personal (laughs) and the public, kind of aren't as compartmentalized as 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 we would like.
1: Ken, first of all, you know, the the Freudian dilemma that he saw was not eros versus death, but eros versus civilization. Basically, the forces of eros. By eros, he meant sexual freedom, uh, creativity, art. you know, people just, you know, relaxing, that kind of thing. And, and, and uh, yeah, that, that kind of thing. And then civilization is obligation, family, duty. Kenan felt that human beings, particularly men, and he took males, males as the normative uh, sex, that, that men were torn between these two conflicting impulses toward creativity and obligation between sexual freedom and family obligations and so forth. And he felt himself torn between those two. Um, and in a way, if you, you asked about the Cold War, he regarded in a way the problem with the Soviet Union was that they were too exuberant, too too much on the arrow side, so to speak, in terms of, because of their victory over the, the Nazis in World War II, we needed to suppress their, contain, suppress their uh, over excitement with containment to get them to calm down and accept you know, a more reasonable, uh, rational, orderly, uh, obligation-filled uh, status in the world. So, Kennan regarded excessive emotionalism, excessive, uh, you know, exuberance, as a threat both in the Soviet Union and in the United States. He did; he was not happy with what became the McCarthyite fervor in the Cold War because he regarded that as as again excessive. He tried, in terms of his personal life and and politics, tried to mediate between the two extremes.
0: But is it any coincidence, Frank, that Kennan, with his odd private life, with his uh, with his um, his coldness, his his failure in many ways to build a proper marriage or even relationships with his children?
1: Well, I dispute um, that, Andrew. I think that you know he did have. I mean, he he felt torn about his marriage but it lasted but well, i mean you years. you
0: note in the book for example he didn't even show up for his daughter's wedding
1: that's true but they were they were in in oxford you know well, in, that's
0: no excuse well, i, I, I mean, know that's
1: what his daughter thought
0: but the point is um, i mean he was a, a a brilliant man but a cold man i mean is that fair in your analysis
1: no i think there's there's worth you know i've talked to all his children and they certainly have very warm feelings for their father. But there was
0: something missing in him. And I'm curious, like most men, particularly public men like Kennan, trained to be public. And I, and I wonder whether we can make sense of that in the context of American foreign policy or whether the two are completely separate.
1: No, I don't think they're separate. I mean, the argument, I'm not sure the connection right off the top, but the argument of the book is that, you know, Kennan is a... is is is. is, is cogent in, in the sense that the, the person his personality and his policies are linked not maybe in a simplistic way one to one but there's there's their connections their connections uh, so I mean what are you driving at? what do you think is missing in him
0: well I know yeah I mean, I mean if Hannah Arendt was around to, to to participate in this conversation she certainly would have an interest I think in in, in, in the sublimated nature of 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 Kennan's personality and this will to power and perhaps violence, which played a role in in the Cold War, it takes two to tango, of course. Right, doesn't... but
1: I don't think he I don't think he had a will to violence. He had a will. He had, he believed he was smarter than most people. He was in a lot of respects smarter than most people. He believed that he had uh, f- better foresight, greater foresight than most people. That's true. Um, so I think it was kind of a lively appreciation of his abilities that led him to think that he indeed had answers for the, for the, the people in Washington, and that he indeed should be Secretary of State. That even as late, you know, as two thousand three, he muses in his diaries. Now ninety nine years old, and he says, "Well, I don't think the Bush administration is going to consult me with regard to Iraq, but if they did, and then he lays out what he would say." So um, he's a person who has always felt that he had something to say to people. Uh, in power. And that's his greatest frustration, that he didn't have continued continued influence over American foreign policy.
0: Do you think he, he should have? And if he didn't, was that a, a reflection of his own political failures? Or does it reflect the fact that America has always been very uncomfortable with slightly aristocratic figures like George Kennan?
1: Well, I think those are are important factors, but I think it's also that we go back to what I said earlier about the long telegram, Mr. X, that was like pushing on an open door, okay? Kennan gave a rationale for a Cold War policy that was the United States, Truman administration was really evolving toward, American public opinion was also evolving toward. After that, I think a large part of the American establishment found a Cold War policy basically comfortable. And there was tension there, but it was comfortable in terms of there was a fixed policy. It was a policy that enabled us to build the NATO alliance, uh, establish the, the free world with, with America in the position of, of leadership, uh, defense contracts. You know, it, it it gave stability and order to Americans' conception of the world, stability and order to the world itself. Kennan was saying in that context. Kennan was saying, after, particularly after 1950, wait a minute, uh, the Soviets are largely contained. We shouldn't begin to negotiate, particularly with regard to Europe, negotiate a mutual pullback from Russians pulling back from Eastern Europe, Americans pulling back from Western Europe. That's what he was advocating because he thought the confrontation in the heart of Europe was too dangerous. And the American establishment and many of the American people said, no, why, why should we do that? This is, uh, Kennan wanted a negotiated end to the Cold War. The United States wanted and eventually achieved an unconditional Russian surrender. In the cold war
0: one of the most intriguing things which i knew nothing about i have to admit before looking at your book um is his his wife he he was married to her for 70 years yeah 73 years right, right. 73 years which is an astonishing in, in itself it's an astonishing achievement here we have a picture of him in 1952 returning with his wife uh a woman from uh, of, of Norwegian origins, a great beauty, a party woman uh, who, who apparently didn't really, they didn't have a lot in common, and didn't talk to one another. What, what does this long marriage, this 73-year-old marriage, tell us about um, Kenan in, in terms of his life between worlds? Was he caught, co- he was also uh, an aggressive womanizer, he had many affairs, uh, he, he, he seems like a, almost a character who, could have walked out of a, a Le Carre novel, only he wouldn't be American. He'd be British.
1: <laughs> well, that, that, that's that's perceptive, I think. I, I, I noticed that picture that you showed, what came to my mind that you showed that picture uh, is the, the figure, the, the child on the right, on my right here, uh, the boy holding the flag with his father. That's Chris Kennan, who said commented to me, he said, I don't know why they got married. I don't know why they stayed married. Um, so, yeah, that's true. George did have affairs, but also his wife had some affairs, evidently, according to the testimony. Good for
0: her. I hope she did. Right. Yeah, he did. And,
1: and as she explained, when one of their daughters wanted to get divorced, she said, no, 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 we don't get divorced. You just have affairs and work it out that way. Um, so to some extent, there was a mutual uh, understanding there, at least a, a modus vivendi uh, on the part of, of, of both of them.
0: But he liked it. In a sense, and again, this perhaps comes back to a character in a Le Carré novel, and Le Carré himself. He liked, in a sense, to live dangerously, and and having affairs, I guess, was his way of living dangerously.
1: But he also felt, and this is, comes out in the diary again and again, enormous guilt. I mean, enormous guilt that is failing. You know, and, and when he's 99 years old and he's talking to uh, one of his relatives, he says, "You know, one of my the greatest failure of my life is is that, that he was." always susceptible to uh, what he called, he had his wandering eye. I mean, he had a wandering eye to an extraordinary extent. There's one little passage. I mean, uh, I mean, There's one it's... passage in his diary when he comes back from the dentist and he says, why do they allow dental assistants to wear such provocative clothing? <laughs> now, if you're getting your teeth cleaned, he's I mean, okay. my dental uh, hygienist is not wearing provocative clothing. But So he saw sex uh, uh, and that's places.
0: the uh, and that's the Freudian element here, his yeah, I I wouldn't say obsession with sex is certainly his interest in guilt. Was there a lit- You talk about guilt, Frank. Was there a religious quality to Kenan?
1: Well, there was later in his life um, at, when he was at, at Princeton, like many uh, undergraduates, he was an agnostic or even atheist. But he became quite religious in his last 20 years. Um, as part of it gives you an idea of Kenan's thinking, he tried to see uh, man's relationship with God from God's perspective, how it must look to God having to deal with these bipeds who disappointed in so many ways. And he said, how could God have time for all these people, everyone praying to him? You know, it's just like it must be too much to deal with. So, I mean, here's somebody trying to empathize with God. Uh, it's, you know, it, it requires a certain kind of ego to even undertake that as a mental challenge.
0: You know that when he was a young man, he wanted to write literature. Do you think he could have had a great novel in him?
1: He could have. I mean, that's, he regarded as kind of the arrow side that it, if he would gave himself over to a life of, of literary production, he said that it would um, unleash emo- unleash emotions that he could not control. So um, yeah, that, that's his conception. You know, Famously, famously, he wanted to write a biography of Chekhov. Now, Kenan wrote twenty books, and most of those won prizes, multiple prizes. But he never wrote more than a single essay early in his life on Chekhov. So there's, you know, there's some contradiction there. I have some ideas why he didn't write the. Ken Chekhov was too important to Kenan for him to kind of, in a way, profane. Yeah, we we just did a,
0: a bio of Chekhov, and I guess the two worlds that he. In your view, at least, George Kennan was caught between, which is so ironic given the X article and the long telegram, is America and Russia. He always had this deep affection. You you might read that quote from Kennan, you said it was the best thing he ever wrote about um, when he went to St. Petersburg and how he felt and how he didn't really feel American or Russian. Do you have that to hand?
1: Oh, I, I do in a second. I think it's in the introduction.
0: Um, it's worth the wait to everyone. It's an excellent right. quote.
1: Okay, right. Um, okay. Um, okay. This is 1945, September 1945, only weeks after the end of World War Two. Um, though newly arrived in the city, it was like coming home. I'm getting to. He had already read so much about this capital and so forth. Um, he discerned in this dark, damp, and cold city, quote, a strange warmth, a strange intensity, a strange beauty, giving free rein to his imagination and intuition, inspired arguably the most exquisite sentence written by Kennan in his 88 years as a, as a diarist, now the sentence. I know that in this city where, where I have never lived, there was nevertheless by some strange quirk of fate, a previous life perhaps, been deposited a portion of my own capacity to feel and to love, a portion, in other words, of my own life, and that this is something which no American will ever understand and no Russian ever believe.
0: Mm, he's is his inner Tolstoy. History would be yeah. a wonderful thing right. if only it were true. Uh, well, it's great that we have you. And we, we, we have to end, Frank. I apologize with a note on Ukraine. I know it's a bit boring, but we have to... Uh, because that's what everyone's thinking we've done so many shows we had recently P- P- peter pomerantsev my friend on arguing that the west needs to arm ukraine properly if if the war's to end it's a I, i'm I, I don't know what Kenneth would think but i think he'd be very intrigued with pomerantsev's take uh, today uh, i think west has announced that they're supplying more tanks to ukraine what what would George Kennan say if he was around today in January 2023, in terms of how to end this war in Ukraine,
1: I think the way he would say, and actually he did write about Ukraine in 1948 and, and in 1997. But with regard to this war, Kennan, who was, you know, a diplomat, and he believed in diplomacy having capacity. I think that, that a lot of us don't credit credit it uh, with today. Kenan, as Kennan put it, you know what seems like irreconcilable differences that are not amenable to settlement through diplomacy. Says are simply that each side having a different asking price in this bargaining. Each price, each side has a bargain, has a an asking price which can only be settled and come to an agreement with through diplomacy, patient, secret, and emphasizing that patient, secret diplomacy by trained professionals sitting down day after day trying to come closer to some kind of agreement. I mean, he had great faith in deploying